Gospel according to Luke, the sixth chapter. Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, but that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord. When I was in seminary, there was a church just a block from the seminary, and it was called St. Anthony Park Lutheran Church, although since it was just a block from seminary, and since we seminarians were a quick-witted bunch, we called it St. Convenience Lutheran Church, because of course, as far as worshiping on Sunday, it was as convenient as could be. I've thought about that church again here recently, because one of the two things I remember about that church is that they didn't have an organ. They had a grand piano and a fine pianist, and that was how they led worship. And the pianist was very good. There were often winds and strings to accompany it. But I, I missed the organ when we worshiped there. Of course, at that time, if Kathy and I really wanted to hear an organ lead worship, uh, we had the opportunity to drive about 30 minutes to South Minneapolis and hear Lutheran worship as, as well as it could possibly be done because that's the place where Paul Mons at that time was the organist. And as a friend of mine who had a, has a way with words would say that Paul Mons could cut the grass. <laughs> I've been thinking about that recently, of course, because here at Gloria Day we are without our organ. And of course, um, we have a fine pianist who's doing what she's doing until we get that organ back in August. Uh, but once again, I find myself missing the organ. Besides, as organists go, Linda Hocken can cut the grass, am I right? <laughs> now thinking about that got me thinking about the second thing I remember about that congregation a block from the seminary, and that is that they had two pastors who, when they preached, each seemed to have kind of their own theological slant on things, which seemed to kind of... Um, end up with these sermons that were almost kind of a back and forth each week as their perspectives kind of slanted into each other depending on who was preaching. The young pastor uh, was the associate pastor whose preaching slant was social ministry and social justice and social action. He critiqued Christians or churches that he thought were so 
heavenly minded that they were no earthly good, referring of course to churches and people who she thought were all about putting their faith in Jesus for the purpose of getting to heaven someday, but in the course of their day-to-day -day lives here in not heaven are so preoccupied with turning their back to sin and sinfulness they never get around to turning their eyes and their hearts and their hands and their selves to the, ho the hopes and hurts and needs and injustices in this world. For they are Christians for the purposes of getting saved, and they are saved for the purpose of getting to heaven. And they get together on Sunday mornings for the purpose of showing that we love Jesus to pieces because of all that he did so that we could go to heaven. And if in fact that's as far as it goes, if, then they are so heavenly minded as to be no earthly good, right? And that's not being faithful, right? So certainly that younger pastor was faithful in preaching those sermons, which in one way or another, it seemed every time I heard him, reminded us that faithful Christians aren't pie in the sky, eternal life someday in heaven people, but rather go out into the world now and roll up your sleeves and do some good for others people. The senior pastor, on the other hand, you know, social ministry and social action, that, those weren't his go-to slant. I remember him critiquing churches that had food banks and clothing closets, but no Bible studies and no prayer groups, which you couldn't see in a single way that they were any different from the Department of Human Services or the United Way. And so in his mind, they had lost their way, lost their soul, lost the spiritual heart of what it means spiritually to be the Christian church. I remember him, I still remember, I don't know why, I made an impression. I remember him talking one time about visiting an older member whose husband had died and who herself was bedridden. And he said, and I remember his eyes glistening as he said it, if I don't have heaven to give her, I don't have anything to give her. Now, I don't know if those two slants kind of back and forthing from the pulpit were ever any kind of polarizing in that congregation. I wasn't really closely enough involved, and soon enough we were assigned to work in a different church, so I didn't get back so often. But it didn't necessarily feel that way to me. I didn't even get the impression that it felt that way to them. They were having, uh, publicly and privately, I imagine, a conversation with each other and with their members that is, in fact, a conversation the Bible has all over the place with itself. I'm talking about the conversation as the Bible sometimes talks about some things today and also sometimes talks about things for someday. It's the conversation, in some ways almost kind of this pendulum swing as the scriptures make promises for this world and also for the next world. It's the conversation, in some ways almost even kind of the theological ping pong game as God's word talks about matters in this life but also matters unto eternal life. It's conversation you can hear just a little bit of going on in conversation between our readings for today. Starting with our reading from 1 Corinthians, where Paul is writing to a congregation where some of the members of the congregation are apparently saying something kind of apparently like, you know, I don't know about that whole die and go to heaven thing. I believe in Jesus for sure. 
I believe he was a great teacher. We should follow his teachings for sure. But you know, as far as that pearly gates over the rainbow stuff someday, yeah, I don't know about that. People die, they die. That whole precious Lord, take me home thing sounds to me kind of like either denial or wishful thinking. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, this actually started last week in our readings. It's going to continue next week. I mean, he wades into this. And of course, when Paul wades in, you know, there's a, there's a bugle sounding charge. Paul wades into that when we heard him last week start, and this is my paraphrase, what he said last week. Let me tell you something. Jesus was nailed to a cross and left hanging there until he was dead, dead. I know people who were there and who saw it with their own eyes. And then he was put in a tomb because he was dead. I know people who laid him there with their own hands. But on the third day he rose from the dead, and I know people. In fact, I know hundreds of people who saw him raised from the dead right in front of their own faces. In fact, he said, he came raised from the dead to me. Which just goes to show you that it was sinners he was raised from the dead for, and it was forgiveness he was raised from the dead handing out because I'm the greatest sinner who ever lived. I persecuted his followers violently, hatefully, murderously. But forgiveness and grace raised from the dead came and found me and then sent me into the world to share the news that it's not just me, it's the whole world that God in his forgiving grace wants back again for forever. Which takes us to those verses Kelly read today where Paul says, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and our faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But don't pity me, he goes on to say, for in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died and who in him will be raised from the dead too. And to add to that conversation, there's our gospel reading for today, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are hated, persecuted, rejected, killed even, for their faith and faithfulness. Rejoice then, he says. Rejoice even then, he says. Rejoice and even leap for joy precisely then, he says. For, quote, surely your reward is great in heaven. Now, have I ever wondered about that whole idea of dying and then going to a place called heaven to live forever? Absolutely. Though I, at the end of the day, have an actual clue 
as to how exactly biologically or metaphysically speaking that could possibly actually work and what that could possibly actually look like, absolutely not. Paul one time said he had a, had a, a vision of what it was actually like. And when he wrote about that, this is in 2 Corinthians 12, he apologized for, among other things, the fact that even just trying to put what he saw and believed into actual words, he knew that what he actually sounded like was a babbling fool. Do I actually believe that in Christ one dies and then goes to heaven to, in some fashion or another, live forever? Well, you know what? Yeah, I actually do. Doesn't mean I haven't taken a try or three or nine at not believing that, but I've never been able to, 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 to get and stay there. Because at the end of the day, I do believe what Paul believed and says that he and a lot of others actually saw that being Jesus Christ died to rise again, and he did so for us. Do I have my own visions of heaven? Or maybe I should more accurately say my imaginings of heaven, which actually once in a while have asked, left me asking myself if I'm the one kind of going off the deep end and thinking like a fool. Uh, yeah, I actually have and do. Because in this world, though, I think that that's as close as we can get. I imagine, I just imagine a way anyway. I imagine seeing Jesus. I imagine seeing my mom and dad again. Just yesterday, I imagined my mom and dad being together again for the first time in 36 years on their anniversary. Would have been their 70th. Gosh, you want to talk about crazy sounding? I imagine my dad playing frisbee with Captain, who in my uh, perhaps biased opinion was the greatest dog ever, who died quite suddenly just two weeks after we moved to Iowa City three years ago this month. You know, some of my imagining maybe is a little crazy. I imagine a way anyway, because I, I remember what somebody else told me, and that is that if you want to think about heaven, the best way to do it is to imagine just the very best possible thing you can. And if that's not what heaven is like, when you, when you get there, that's not going to be disappointing. Not at all. Because all that means is that, you know, God, being God, actually has a better imagination than you do. So do I believe in the resurrection to eternal life in a place of some kind that Jesus has not just imagined but prepared? Yeah, I imagine I do. As I imagine with Paul that I do regard it as to be pitied if I call Jesus Lord and don't hang my heart and my hopes on the future he has accomplished and prepared as I count it as pitiable and unfaithful to, if I don't, in the ways that I can and believe I'm called to, share with others the promise of the future that Jesus has accomplished and promised for us. But I imagine it pitiable and unfaithful as well, if that's the only thing I share with others. Back to the Gospel reading again where Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Is, of course, being in the present tense. And he says, Blessed are you who are hungry now in the present, for you will be filled. And just 
in case someone would say that the filling he's talking about is just the spiritual filling of spiritual hungers, I remind you the same Jesus just a little later in Luke's gospel will miraculously with bread and fish fill and satisfy the deep hunger of 5,000 people, the reason for their hunger being not at that moment that their souls are starving but that their stomachs are growling. And I would remind you that that same Jesus a little later in Luke's gospel tells the story of a rich man and a poor man who lived side by side for years and when they died the poor man was taken to heaven and served a fabulous feast of food and drink. The rich man on the other hand when he died was condemned and when he asked why, it was Father Abraham who, in this parable, explained, because you had what it takes to put something in that poor man's stomach his whole life long, but instead, your whole life long, you ignored him. Filling souls, filling stomachs. Proclaiming for Christ's sake blessings to come somewhere, somehow, someday, until then, for Christ's sake and as Christ's hands and heart being a blessing here, now, today, and tomorrow. They aren't, as it turns out, debating or conflicting or competing truths. At least they certainly aren't meant to be. They are, together, the whole truth of what it means in this life unto the next, faithfully to be Christ's church. Do we hand out Bibles or bread? Do we share sermon or share the wealth? Do we give hope to people or do we help people? Yes, yes we do. Yes, we most certainly do. For Christ and his church are good for this life and the next. Amen.